What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, your daily NFL podcast. Regardless of whether the season is happening or the offseason is going on, every day, 6 a.m., in your podcast inbox, ready to download for your commute, about 30 minutes. We're still blitzing through teams division by division. I am Will Brinson. I am your host. I am thrilled to be back away from assignment, off of vacation, ready to do some podcasting with you coming up on today's show. Yesterday, we had Ryan Kerrigan, Sean Wagner-McGuff talk to us about his 30 over 30 list. Today, we have Paul Diener, Jr., of the Cincinnati Inquirer. We're going to break down the Bengals. Really good info. Uh, if you're a fantasy football player, and I'm going to assume most of you are, then, uh, you should, you should continue listening to this very podcast because Paul has some excellent info about one Joe Mixon, who I already liked as a sleeper. And, uh, Paul thinks he could be a big time player in, in 2018. So continue listening to that in just a minute. Um, I don't think I have a whole lot of housekeeping to get to. I'm still sort of trudging out of this vacation mode, um, but we have some exciting things coming up for the podcast. Uh, really hope you could, please keep subscribing, rating, and reviewing to the guy who left a one-star review while I was out of town. Get lost, buddy. Get out of here, you clown show. Um, tell your friends if you want to send me an, if you want to send me a note on Twitter, it's at Will Brinson. If you want to send me a, a, the podcast a note, you can ask any question, any question you want answered. You can send to the podcast at pick six pod or probably to me at Will Brinson. Sometimes I miss them. Sometimes I miss emails too, uh, or just take a while to get back to people on them. Uh, but send a, send a, send a note on Twitter and we will have those questions. Any question answered can be about pineapple on pizza can be about, uh, who the best over under win totals are to bet if you're in Vegas can be about life questions, whatever you want. Doesn't matter. I'll, I'll try and answer them as best I can. Will Brinson at gmail.com. If you want to send me an email, I've got some really nice notes from listeners. Um, the, after, as soon as I got back, Justin and, uh, Jason, appreciate it. I answered one of those. I'm answering the other one as soon as I got done recording this podcast. Um, some news, I guess. Oh yeah. Uh, pick six newsletter. You should subscribe to the pick six newsletter because if you do that, then my bosses will like me. And also newsletters are the new way to get your information. It's, it's emails. I mean, emails back, emails out, but it's sort of back. Twitter's kind of okay. There's too much political stuff on there. Newsletters get that NFL news straight to your veins. So stay on top of everything happening around the NFL with our pick six newsletter. It features all the biggest stories plus the latest box picks, power rankings and more. Go to cbssports.com backslash pick six daily and you can subscribe there. Or if you see, if you scroll down to the bottom of like any article on CBS that's NFL related, there should be a pick six newsletter subscribe button. Subscribe there. You'll get my content. You'll get a lot of good stuff. It's curated by people who know what they're doing. I highly recommend it. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, no, you know, I don't, I, I, I should, at some point I'll try and go back through and cultivate a list of beers that I had on vacation. A lot of K-Brew and Cayman Brack. You should, uh, as I mentioned, you should check out BrackScubaShack.com if you ever want to scuba dive. Lisa and Martin, tell them I sent you. Go to the Cayman Brack, check out all the cool wildlife that they have there under the ocean. Um, uh, if you're not certified and you want to scuba dive, check out Patty or shoot me an email and I'll hook you up with my dad. He'll get you certified if you're in the, the, the reasonable vicinity. Some news around the NFL. Man, it is such a dead time. Talk about scuba diving. That's how dead it is. Uh, notable. 
according to Albert Breer of the MMQB, who appeared on, I believe, uh, Colin Coward, uh, appeared on The Herd with Colin Coward on, on Fox Sports Radio, was talking about Rob Gronkowski trade rumors. And Breer says that the, the Patriots weren't actually trying to shop Gronk to the whole league. They were, he said, quote, I don't think they were shopping Gronk to the entire league, but there were some teams they trust that I know they talked to. Detroit, Tennessee, Houston, San Francisco, you guys can make the connections there, Breer said. Uh, the connections are obvious, right? I mean, Detroit has Matt Patricia, the old defensive coordinator. Tennessee has Mike Vrabel, his old player. Houston has Bill O'Brien, his old offensive coordinator. And San Francisco has uh, Kyle Shanahan, who apparently Bill Belichick feels comfortable in dealing with after the Jimmy Garoppolo trade, and they've traded with him before. So uh, Mike Florio adds that there were more teams but didn't say exactly how many. It, there's a lot of smoke when it comes to the, the Patriots right now, and and I think that it'll probably clear up by the time the season rolls around. But man, I mean, it's you know Tom Brady. We talked about this with Sean. I mean, Tom Brady's doing all this stuff. It, it's just a weird scenario. Um, also weird, the Browns' quarterback situation. Uh, Baker Mayfield came out and said that Tyrod Taylor has quote been an unbelievable mentor, and uh, Dan Ladd of, uh, of the CliffCleveland.com basically said, flat out said that Baker Mayfield did not look ready to go and compete with Tyrod Taylor based on OTAs in the minicamp. In other words, he's not going to challenge Tyrod Taylor. Now, I have a theory about this, and that theory is that the Browns don't want him to challenge Tyrod Taylor because it's best for the Browns, it's best for Hugh Jackson if Tyrod Taylor plays and wins games. If Baker Mayfield plays and plays poorly and loses games, it's bad for the Browns, it's bad for Hugh Jackson, it'll get him fired. If Tyrod Taylor loses games, he's probably getting fired anyway or could turn to Baker Mayfield. And for John Dorsey, you win games early and you build cachet with ownership that you're turning things around, that you made the right moves this offseason. And if you lose games... Who cares? You're the Browns. You just fire Hugh Jackson. Say, this guy stinks. I'm going to find my own coach. So that's my theory on why I believe Tyrod Taylor will ultimately end up being the week one starter. Although I'm very high on Baker Mayfield. Love the guy. All right. Let's get to some Bengals talk. We'll stick segue right from Baker Mayfield in the AFC North. Let's talk to Paul Diener Jr. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul Diener Jr. We highly recommend doing that. Great Bengals beat writer. Uh, gets it. He's a younger guy, about my age, um, understands how to cover a team really well, has his own podcast, Bingo's Beat. We talk about that and works for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Highly recommend you follow him and read him. Let's go talk to him about the Bengals. All right, Paul. Thanks for joining me. And as the listeners might be interested to know, they like, they like to know the, the back end stuff of this. Um, you are such a good person, not just a good sports writer. <laughs> But a good person wow. that, that you bailed me out on the, uh, on the, on the last second move. Cause I was, I was sort of reeling, but I was like, man, I was like, I want to have Diener on to talk Bengals. Not only is he good to talk to, but John Breach will then ask me, why wasn't I on for the Bengals podcast? And I'll say, John, <laughs> John, you're a fanboy. Diener has the inside information and that's why he's on. Agree or disagree? Uh, I, I will not, I will not call John a fanboy. <laughs> I think he's, 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 he, I, I, I talk to many fanboys, uh, of, of the Bengals. He is an informed fanboy, which, which kind of takes the fanboy definition off of you completely. Cause 
fanboys are inherently supposed to not be informed and be completely biased and outraged at all times. So, but I, I think you, I, I think that might be, and this is maybe an indictment on myself. The first time I've ever been introduced for any sort of radio or podcast hit as a nice person. Wow. So I'll take that. I thank you. Thank you for saying that. I it's, appreciate it. It's and by the way, you can follow Paul at Paul Diener Jr. on Twitter. Um, of course, read Cincinnati Inquirer stuff. He does great work there and you should support your local newspapers because that's a good thing to do. Maybe. It's possible that you're not a good person and we're both just bad people. <laughs> like, I might think you're a good person, but I'm actually also a bad person. Is that possible? Or a bad judge of character. Like, mm. there's, there's lots of different, there's lots of different things. I, I like to think I actually am a good person, but people just don't want to hear about that stuff. <laughs> like, people don't want to hear about how good you are or your good deeds. And that's how I, and that's how I rationalize it to myself. Right. Yeah. You and I were out doing charity work for, for other humans today, during the day. Um, yeah. I think we were both playing golf on Tuesday in, in the afternoon, but that's, that's, we were doing it. Correct. I had a charity situation and you were, you were, you were spending time with your father for Father's Day. Yeah. People are listening to this on a Wednesday. All right. Let's get down to business and talk some Cincinnati Bengals. I, I, I do. So we've had, um, like I consider like you and Larry Holder and Joe Person, Ben Volan, you know, like, guys in roughly the same age range uh, that we've been on this, you know, the NFL, I mean, you guys do the daily, you know, you guys do the, the, the beat harder than I do, but we always end up hanging out at the, these events. It is, it, for me, it's fun to do this, this show and have like y'all on and, and just shoot the bleep and, 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 and it almost can get away from you. It can get off the rails pretty quickly uh, without actually talking about any football. So let's, let's, we'll, we'll try and do that. But if you know what, if it goes off the rails and we, we just end up discussing Andy Dalton's hairstyles. That's fine. Uh, I'll ask you for, I've done it before. Sure. Right. And you do, uh, you do, do you do, is your podcast weekly or is it? Podcast is weekly yes. uh, in the off season. And then uh, we run twice a week in season. So the Bengals beat podcast. So if you're a, if you're a Bengals fan, just go to your preferred podcast platform and search inquirer uh, Bengals beat podcast and you'll see it. You can subscribe there. And uh, uh, we have, a, we have a lot of fun with it just as you do. Yeah. Well, that's what's the, what the hell's the point if we're not having fun. All right. Uh, first question for you, Paul Daner. Did Cincinnati fix their offensive line this offseason enough to protect Andy Dalton and or was the approach they took a good plan? Yes and no. And I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> explain the yes first. I'll, I'll start with the yes first. So, yes, I thought the best move of their entire offseason, and honestly one of the best moves they've had in a couple offseasons, was the trade for Cordy Glenn. I mean, they 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 were confident enough to really analyze the situation and understand where they were sitting uh, at number twelve in the draft. They were not going to get the left tackle that they that they wanted, and but they saw how this draft set up well for the interior offensive linemen and how many would be there a little further back. Saw an opportunity to move back with the Bills. Still be able to knock out one of their uh, offensive line needs there. And so so basically with one pick, with their number 12 pick, to solve left tackle with a veteran who can step in right away, assuming he stays healthy, um, and play at a pretty high level there, and get a premier first-round center as a two-for-one uh, with one move, I, I thought – 
that was the, one of the shrewdest moves that they've made mm. in a while to try to fix the line. To me, the no part of this and the TBD part of your question is they kind of stopped there <laughs> and, and they, they, they kind of turned the rest of it over to new offensive line coach Frank Pollock to say, hey, this pile of rubbish that's been <laughs> hanging around here playing the last couple of years, uh, fix those guys and make them play right tackle and right guard. And and that may work. And I think there's a lot of momentum <laughs> like this inside <laughs> of the building. I mean, they, they believe that Frank Pollock his, is a completely different style and it's a better fit for Cedric Abwehi and Jake Fisher. And they brought in Bobby Hart, who's another cast off. And they've got a couple of former picks in Christian Westerman and Alex Redman, who, who have just kind of been sitting there in the building. So they think that that combination can be good enough. But I, you know, I don't, that right side of the line, um, could be a problem again. Yeah, that was sort of my next question because, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on ourlads.com looking at depth charts. And if you look at what they are projecting, <laughs> I mean, you know, this time of the year, it's, it's just hard to project like what, you know, you have to, you know, it's, it's hard to really know exactly how certain things are going to play out. And I think this Bengals offensive line is, is one of those things. I mean, Trey Hopkins is projected at right guard and then Jake Fisher at right tackle and, and people sort of, I, I almost feel like the, 2015 draft is kind of what derailed the Bengals into the issues they've had the last two years in that they went Cedric Ogbui with the first round pick. They go Jake Fisher with the second round pick, Tyler Croft, third round pick. And I mean, it's all fine and dandy, but, but when those offensive linemen don't work out the way you want them to, then all of a sudden you're in this position where you're trying to rejigger the entire offensive line on the fly. And this is a major problem, right? So, so who's going to be on that right side? Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that draft. I, I, I towards the end of last year, I wrote a story about how th- this franchise in particular, because they're they are them and the Packers are always the the least aggressive in free agency. They ta- they are complete draft and develop and retain philosophy. When you have that philosophy, when that's what you are as a team, you can't whiff on drafts, and when you do it. It bites you in the butt two to three years later consistently. And when you hit home runs, it pays off for you two to three years later. That's when the Bengals went on their run of five straight playoffs was because they had about four straight home run drafts where they were finding guys like Marvin Jones and Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap in the back rounds and hitting on their first round picks. Guys like Gio Bernard, a guy, I mean, they, they were just, they were on fire. Um, from a, from a scouting and drafting standpoint, and then in 14, uh, and much more so in 15, they had just two huge whiffs, and and in the last two years you've seen that, and particularly with the offensive line. I mean, they went all in on fixing the on fixing the offensive line and getting going from old to young, and it blew up in their face, and that's the reason their offense was so bad the last two years that and obviously the coordinator debacle that happened with Hugh Jackson's transition on to Ken Zampezi, who was fired two games in to answer your actual question, <laughs> uh, which I, which I, I promise it just takes me a little longer to get there sometimes. I, I will say right tackle. Uh, it could be anybody, honestly. I mean, Cedric Abway has been starting there. 
um, a, a little bit in the off season. Jake Fisher, it was because Jake Fisher was out. You know, which one of those guys shows that they can figure it out a little bit at right tackle? I think it will be between those two. I don't think Bobby Hart is going to come in here and wow anyone. And I think at right guard, I, I think Christian Westerman, who's a guy who started the last two games of last year when the Bengals won those two games and basically uh, saved Marvin Lewis's job, uh, you know, he, he he made a lot of uh, – he had a lot of fans uh, <laughs> in, in the front office for the way he played. He was a fifth-round draft pick who had sort of been in Paul Alexander's doghouse and I think made a lot of people say, hey, Paul, why have you not been playing this guy? And that's part of the reason why Paul Alexander is now in Dallas and Frank Pollock's now in Cincinnati. All right, with all right. Let's let's assume that. Well, no, let's not assume anything. Let's just let's just play, let's just play it out as it, as it is. Can the Bengals lean on their running game now that they finally gotten out uh, out from under Jeremy Hill, who for whatever reason Marvin Lewis re- you know, just refused to not give Jeremy Hill twenty three carries for thirty two yards and three touchdowns a game or two touchdowns a game. <laughs> Whatever, whatever absurd yeah. stat it was. I mean, like, can, can they finally focus in on Joe Mixon, add Gio Bernard? I know they, I think they like Mark Walton, their fourth round pick this year. Do they have enough to get the running game going and, and be effective in the ground game? Cause I don't think that they're going to be a very good offense if they can't get that running game going. No, I, I think this offense is going to be, be based around what Joe Mixon can be. Mm-hmm. I think that's how they view it. I think they view him as their Ezekiel Elliott, uh, and, and that's, and they're going to come in with Frank Pollock's style of this, this blow him off the ball running game thing that he specialized there in Dallas. And, and what, and that's how Marvin Lewis wants to play. He wants to let his defense win games. He wants to run the football and he knows that will help Andy Dalton be better because when Andy Dalton has been at his best is when you're not trying to make Andy Dalton be more than he is. He's great at being what he is. When people try to make him more than that is when things go sideways. He needs a good running game. And Joe Mixon is the type of back that can be that, that can be special. And you saw him start to be special as the season went along last year when they let him get a rhythm, when they let him, you know, figure out and how the line was going to be blocking in front of him. I mean, I've never seen a season where a, where a running back, any running back that carried it, particularly it was usually Mixon, has had to take on more contact six yards behind the line of scrimmage <laughs> than what we saw last year. I mean, it was every, it seemed like every single time he touched it, he was having to make two people miss before he even could view where the line of scrimmage was. And, and his numbers were terrible because of it. So people will look at Joe Mixon and say, he averaged three and a half yards per carry in this, that, and the other. Well, yeah, once they stopped trying to do this sort of, you know, we joke that elephants on parade, sideline to sideline, <laughs> uh, running style and just go straight ahead. They saw lots of success and they were actually a top 10 running team the last five weeks of the season with Mixon kind of heading that. I, I actually do think that they can have a pretty special running game. And if they do that, I, their offense would, could clearly be special because if you have a special running game and you have 18 on your side, um, you know, you're all right. You'll, you'll, you'll be, you'll be fine. And they've proven that they can do that before. They've got enough other possible weapons. I think that they can be a good offense, but it will all start with that running game. Uh, but I, but I think they're set up well to, to make that be something that can, that can kind of hold them afloat.
All right, so I was kind of in on Joe Mixon as a post-hype fantasy star in 2018. Anyway, now you got me really thinking he might have a he might have a big year if they can get this going. I mean, what what like what sort of ceiling do you see? Not, I mean, I don't want you to pin out Joe Mixon's statistical projection here, but I mean, like what what's his ceiling behind that Bengals offensive line? Well, I mean, look, I, I'll, I'll take you back to when we were in Indianapolis, the, the, the times we were sober, uh, <laughs> we were, we were there and, and Duke Tobin stood on this, stood on the podium, uh, in front of us before the season had hardly, this offseason had hardly even unraveled and said, and called Joe Mixon a bell cow. I mean, they, they, they had, this has been the plan since day one. And, and I, I think he will, I would be shocked, assuming, assuming health. I would be shocked if he didn't have 20 to 25 touches every game. That now that's counting that's counting receptions. Sure. Um, but, but I mean, I think he's going to be a 20 to 25 touch a game guy. He's going to be what they base their offense on. I think he'll score a lot of touchdowns. Uh, you will continue to see Gio in the same role that he has been in, which he's fabulous in, which is that third down running back, passing game back, uh, and he's so dangerous in the screen game and that type of stuff there. Um, they're going to continue to use him there. But, I mean, they want Joe Mixon to be the guy. So, I, and I think, you know, I think he could easily average four to four and a half yards per carry, uh, you know, over nine yards of reception, 20 to 25 touches a game. I mean, those turn those turn out to pretty big numbers at the end Jeez. of the day. Yeah, those do. I mean, like that's, that's some uh... – that's the, that, yeah, that's like 90 yards a game over the, yeah, that's all right. That would be, that would, that would be cooking with gas. Mixing special, so maybe yeah. it happens. Any chance that, um, any chance we see Tyler, Tyler Eifert play in 2018? I just, I just can't believe. I'm telling you, I've been on this beat, uh, for the Inquirer for, for a long time. My first full season with the Inquirer was 2013, and I don't think that I've had a year on this beat that I have not had to answer Tyler Eifert <laughs> rehab questions. It's like, it's unbelievable that we're still doing this. Um, but we, here we are. Um, you know, the, I don't the know. Year, he the, was year is, the year is 2028. <laughs> it's like, it's like 2032, Daner, Paul Daner Jr. or Paul Daner the third on the Bengals beat is like, no yeah, doubt. like, I don't no know. Doubt. It's but, all possible. Yeah. It's all possible. It was funny last year. Last year, actually, I had back surgery in the off season. Oh, no. And so I had Tyler, I had Tyler on his Twitter account answer questions that people had for me about how my rehab was going <laughs> just to kind of, just to kind of even it out a little bit. We just, we can get a little bit of a feel for what I go through. Um, you know, I, I feel bad for Tyler. I've heard, I really do because he's a talented guy. He's, he's generally a really nice guy. Um, he, he kind of got screwed by the system. Uh, as, as one of these fifth year option rookie guys, mm. um, uh, you know, they, they got away with never having to pay him really never having to pay him at the 2015 level he played at. Um, and what, and what his potential is in this league, they let him get hurt. And now he's had to, t- you know, he took a five and a half million dollar base and then upwards of eight and a half this year on his one year deal, his one year prove it essentially this year. If he plays and hits a bunch of escalators, Look, he's already coming up where we're we're talking about a tweak. He said he didn't have a setup. Uh, he did not have a setback. You know, he kind of mentioned that. And but, you know, we've heard that we've heard all this before. The guy, the guy's had a bunch of back surgery and all kinds of other injuries, and he's got to go out there and try to play the most injured position in our in this game. Um, 
and, and survive. I, I, if he played eight games, I think you'd call that maybe even a win for this yeah. team. I mean, I, you know, it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem likely. Yeah, I mean, and even that 2015 season that you're talking about, and he blew up, and the Bengals blew up because he had 13 touchdowns, but he still only played 13 games. Like, he was scoring a touchdown per game, but he still, you know, he only had, I mean, he had 52 catches for 615 yards. It's not like he went, you know, to 1,300 yards, but he's, the, he was so dangerous in the red zone that if he can get back and play it all, you know, that it would, it would make that team much more dynamic, but I'm with you. I think it'd be, uh, tough to see. All right. Marvin Lewis, this, this is, uh, oh God. <laughs> no, no, I think, I think this is interesting. This is, so, uh, Odd Shark, um, some, they do some good yeah. work, uh, you know, you've probably seen this, but they, they, uh, they, they tweeted out, they do a bunch of odds, you know, um, I've, I've done their super contest thing and I, I'm going to do it again this year and I'm excited about doing it, but they, um, they tweeted out opening odds to be the first NFL head coach fired in 2018. To no one's surprise, Hugh Jackson checks in at number one, three point, three and a half, three and a half to one. Adam Gase is actually number two. Two at seven and a half to one, which is kind of surprising. Then number three, tied with Vance Joseph, is Marvin Lewis at ten to one. And I don't get it because even though Marvin might be on the, the last thread, there's no way in hell that that the Bengals are firing him mid season or early in the season, right? No, those, the people making those odds have have must not have looked at all into the history of how Mike Brown operates. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, look, if, if he's going to take on the onslaught of season ticket holders just going the other direction and leaving the premises after they decided to retain Marvin Lewis um, in January, he's going to stick it out through this year. And almost probably you can almost say for certain barring a complete collapse this year through the second year of his two year (laughs) deal. Uh, You know, to me, it's always been a Marvin's going to be the one to walk away from this. I just don't think Mike has it in him to start over with anybody uh, at this age and where he's at in this, the comfort level that he has with him. So, you know, the fact that it didn't happen last year, if it can't happen last year, or if it couldn't have happened in 2010 when they went four and 12 in the T.O. Cho show, debacle season um you know i mean if if you if you can recover from both of those and be 0 and 7 in the playoffs you know it's not going to be a mid-season knee jerk like uh, you know a loss to you know a a loss to the panthers isn't going (laughs) to set mike over the edge in week four yeah it's just not it's just not happening he's he's going to be around yeah Uh, all right let me ask you a different question is is marvin lewis a good coach Marvin Lewis is good at getting his teams to play hard. Hmm. And, and Marvin Lewis is good at not losing games they shouldn't lose. Um, and that, that has been a recipe for success over the years here. Um, and it's been a reason why he has won as many games as he has and why they've won division titles, um, in a division where the Bengals were a complete, not just an afterthought, but an abject disaster and punchline of, you know, Johnny Carson jokes <laughs> for a decade. And, and so that is worth, that is worth something, but the rep- the repetitive, loss in big games and big moments with different quarterbacks, with different coordinators, with different players across 15 years cannot be 
denied. It can't. It's more. It's more than zero and seven in the playoffs. It's it's never beating the Steelers at home. Like like almost ever two and 15, you know, you it's, it's last in the league. I ran the numbers since 2003 when he started, you look at everybody's record in prime time, everybody, every team across that span. It's not even close how far in 30 seconds the Bengals are. And you know, those games, you know, those, as people will say that those regular season games, no matter when they're played, they all matter the same, right? Yeah, not to fans, not to fans, right. and not to teams' confidence, and not to players when you talk to them about what playing on Monday night means. They just have struggled forever in big moments and big games under Marvin Lewis. And that comes back to him. That's his resume for all the good, and he's really checked every other box since he came here. You know, if you go back and think about what he needed to accomplish when he came here, he changed the culture. Um, he really established, you know, uh, his charity work in the communities off the charts. Um, he, he got them back to where the bar is to, of what is expected is so much higher. He got them division titles. He got them back winning again. But the one box that's unchecked is the only one that really matters and the only one that he'll tell you that really matters. And that's winning in the playoffs and making a run to the championship and playing in the Super Bowl. And that's that. And yeah. I think that tells you the whole story. I mean, how many, I don't know how many more years you need to know that's what he is. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't, I like to make Marvin Lewis jokes on Twitter and I like to rip Marvin Lewis for not winning playoff games and all that. I will say this before Marvin Lewis got there and he arrived in 2003, the Bengals had not won double digit games in a single season since 1988. I mean, like you and I, you're, yeah. you're, you're, Aren't you, aren't you mid-30s? Am I wrong about that? Aren't we roughly the same age? Yeah. Yes, mid-30s. Yeah, yeah. Mid to late. Yeah, mid to, well, I'm, I'm mid to late, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but we're, if you're if you're in your mid to late thirties, if you grew up in the eighties and nineties, the Bengals are the, the Bengals were the Browns. Like the Bengals were the yeah. Cleveland Browns back when we were growing up. I mean, they used to whiff on multiple top picks in the draft, and and I mean, they like they went to the playoffs one time between nineteen eighty nine and two thousand and five uh, when when Marvin first got them to the wild card. So I think you have to give him credit for reviving the franchise, but I do think at some point someone should have said, hey, look, we've hit our ceiling. Marvin, you've done a great job. If you would like to transition somewhere, maybe the front office, I, I don't know, but we need to find somebody else. And it, it's a shame, too, because they let so many good coordinators, I think, like Jay Gruden, Mike Zimmer, obviously, walk out the door that guys that could have replaced him and could have taken them over the top, potentially. There's no doubt. I mean, I, I thought after you know they played uh, in 2013, they went 8-0 and at home. Um, they had Zimmer's defense was because it had been after the 13th season, Jay Gruden, offensive coordinator and Mike Zimmer, defensive coordinator, both get head coaching jobs and they lay an absolute massive egg in the first round at home where they were eight no all year against the San Diego Chargers. That was the day, uh, that was the day after, Rivers. that was the day after, uh, my son was born because I remember watching, I watched yes. that game in the hospital. They, they just got slaughtered by Rivers of the Chargers in Cincinnati. It was unbelievable. It was, um, they had just beaten them in San Diego four weeks prior and just beaten them to a pulp. And then at home in their building with everything going their way in full health, they got destroyed. They got absolutely owned. And it was it, at that point, 
you had to, I think it was sort of a, uh, it was a chance where, Hey, look, are we going to really let Mike Zimmer or Jay Gruden walk out the door after we've just watched a, yet another devastating playoff loss? And, right. You know, you could argue they made the right decision. If you look at what 2015 ended up being, I mean, that could have how differently we would view every really everybody we're talking about in these conversations if Andy Dalton doesn't break his thumb in week 13 you know they that was their year it really was they had everything in place the AFC was attainable that year as shown by a broken Peyton Manning winning the Super Bowl and so it's like you know that's but that's what happens that's football it's the NFL you got to find ways um, to change the narrative, and the only way you can do that is win a tilt, and they've never won a big tilt. <laughs> they certainly haven't. Uh, they have. Uh, Vontaze Perfect has stormed out of the. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, I mean, like it, it's it is crazy. We don't have to. We don't have to relive all of that. Okay. Um, Terrell Austin, defensive coordinator. Yeah. Is he a sleeper in terms of improving this defense? Because he did a really good job in in Detroit, and I don't feel like anybody's talking about him as a as a new coordinator under Marvin. No, yeah, I'm interested. I think there's a lot of potential there because, A, I think he's got good players. And he showed in Detroit when he had good players that he could really, you know, make things happen. And so I mean, William Jackson III is, looks to be budding into a all-pro type yeah. shutdown number one corner. They have a, more good DBs. They have form, you know, Pro Bowls and future Pro Bowlers uh, up and down their defensive line. They have Vontez Burfecht if he ever can get his act together and string together a few games without getting suspended. And so there's a, he has the pieces to work with. There, you know, people really like him in the building. He, I mean, everybody loves everybody in the offseason, but there, I mean, I mean, like genuine feel that they may have found something here. Look, they were running the same defense because Mike Zimmer morphed perfectly into Paul Gunther and keeping what was going on there. Uh, on the same path was great. That was what they needed to do when Zimmer left. But they've been running some variation of the same defense with this, the coordinator with the same view on certain players and certain types of play. You know, the very conservative, sit back, let the other team make the mistakes, keep everything in front of you stuff. They've been doing that for, for you know, almost half, almost a decade. You know, football generation and Terrell Austin's coming in and doing things differently than that. And I think that has woken a lot of people up. I think it's kind of been refreshing in a building that often doesn't change a lot. Um, and, and I think that can be a lot when you throw in the new philosophy with a lot of exciting young players. Um, there's a lot of potential there for sure. Yeah, that's a good call. I think, I think a lot of times people forget that when you, uh, when you mix it, when you mix it up, it, it tends to get these guys off kilter and it seems consistency is good, but sometimes too much consistency can be dangerous. All right. I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, your, your, your daughter's not old enough to be watching any, uh, any heavy Disney program. So I'll go with the, my other, my other go-to <laughs> exit question instead. Um, guac or queso? Guac or queso? Oh, guac. Yeah, I'm a guac. Yeah, person. man. I, I don't know. I, I kind of like look sideways at queso people. A oh, little really? Bit. Wow. Like, yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I just feel like I, I, the avocado is so strong. And like, in general, I just feel like guac, a good quality 
like there's a lot of bad guac out there but when you're getting good quality guac i just don't think like some i just don't think a queso can ever the best queso will never hold a light to the best guac now you can find variations of the others but to me i think this it's the the ceiling is higher on guac than (laughs) queso 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 high high floor high floor on queso but i like the give me a high ceiling I'm, I'm, no, I'm with you. You said it perfectly. I almost want to just stop recording, right? It, I don't think a good queso, a great queso could ever touch a great guac because it's very true. Uh, the avocado, yeah. the avocado has become overutilized in our society, but it is one of the great, it is one of the great, uh, uh, things to eat in the, in this world. All right. Uh, thanks for coming on. Paul Diener, check him out at Paul Diener Jr. on Twitter. Make sure you read him at the Cincinnati Inquirer. Check out his Inquirer podcast. Search for, uh, so you said it before, search for Cincinnati inquire on itunes right and they can find it yeah Bengals beat Bengals beat podcast perfect yep. all right thanks buddy no problem